Welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association. And as always, I'm joined by uh, Chris Martin. Chris, how are we doing? Doing great today, John. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Chris Martin. I am with Atlas Marketing, and we tell stories for people who build things. And what a great segue into our topic today, because we're talking about building things from a design perspective. What do you say, John? Shall we? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so, um, you know, 2020 is the year of COVID-19, and, uh, you know, Building PA is the... The construction industry's uh, podcast in Pennsylvania, and you can't you can't escape the topic. It's everywhere. Um, it's changing the way we operate in life, um, the way we social distance, the way we interact with family, friends, relatives, you name it. And we're going to learn today how it how it changes uh, the design industry. So I'm I'm really excited to talk about the topic, but I'm probably more excited to have my uh, my good friend I haven't seen in quite a while. Chuck Parker is our is our guest today from Stan Tech. Um, hey Chuck, how's it going? It's going well, John. Glad you asked. Good. Yeah. So I, I met Chuck probably uh, over ten years ago, maybe closer to twenty. Chuck was a member of the AIA MBA Joint Committee in in uh, Pittsburgh. It's a committee that was comprised of ten architects, ten uh, general contractors. I was the staff that was assigned. And I swear I owe you guys money. You, you chucked the architects and the GCs. You guys gave me so much education on the industry. I came in with, with zero information on, on the industry, and I just thoroughly enjoyed those meetings, those monthly meetings. Um, so before we jump into the topic, I just wanted to say thanks. Um, Chuck has since moved on, and he now lives in uh, Philadelphia. Still working for the same firm, um, Stantec. So uh, you want to just touch on yourself first? Maybe uh, let us know how life's going in Philly. Is it any different than Pittsburgh? It's probably a little more upbeat than uh, than McCandless, I would imagine. Yeah, a little more, John. Yeah, yes. and it's when people ask, you know, I was in Pittsburgh for 55 years, and uh, they say, how does Philly compare? And I say, it's, in a lot of ways, it's very similar. There's just a lot more of it. So uh, mm-hmm. it's been a very welcoming area, and I now with the AIA GBCA committee in Philly to carry on with the work we were doing with the AIA MBA in Pittsburgh. So that's been a good experience, also. Oh, good to hear. Good to hear. So uh, should we jump right in? Talk a little COVID nineteen and the design industry's response to it. Yeah. That's- Sounds like a good idea. Um, As John mentioned, I work for Stantec. Not an overly well-known name to a lot of people, but we have 23,000 employees worldwide. Uh, About 10% of, well, more than 10%, 15% of that is in our buildings group, uh, which is architects and MEP engineers uh, doing work on things. And we communicate with all of the offices throughout the world um, on one topic like this come up. I'm in the healthcare group, and we currently, as part of the healthcare group, have a pandemic response committee. And we talk weekly about 
the best MEP solutions and architectural solutions to address the response to the current pandemic. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of our architects headed up the team for the McCormick uh, Place, McCormick Center, sorry, uh, field hospital in Chicago. So we have some firsthand experience of that quick response. But uh, as part of the MEP or the COVID response, uh, we've been having a lot of discussions about what the impact on design is going to be. And the way I put it is COVID-19 is going to impact the future building design practices in the same way that 9-11 affected the airline industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, I think it's going to be just like we used to be able to go up to a gate and wave to somebody as they're getting on a plane, and now there's all the security and, and everything you have to go through to, to get, and only a passenger can can get to a departing gate. We're going to see a lot of those kind of impact, I think, on the way things are designed and built. Uh, the two of the main is, is we've had this stay-at-home order from Governor Wolf, uh, the work-from-home protocols. I think we're all understanding social distancing is going to be one of the most important features of life as we go forward. Uh, also, touch surfaces are going to be something that we're much more acutely aware of. That's, you know, we wash our hands because of the fact that we don't want to transmit the virus from something we've touched to either our, our mouth or our nose or our eye or someplace where it can get into our system. So as far as the social distancing goes, there's going to be less dense designs, you know, the, the little bodega on the corner that has shelves that are three feet apart and 10 people crammed into a little space, I think it's going to be a thing of the past. It, it just, I can't see how something like that's going to survive. But just as we've seen with grocery stores and Walmarts and Costco's, the one-way traffic through a store, one entrance in, one exit out, markings on the floor to keep your distance, wider aisle spacing has got to be part of the way that we design going forward, just to make sure that we're maintaining a, appropriate social distancing. And, and, and then... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead, John. No, I was going to say, you mentioned earlier you, um, your specialties in the healthcare industry. How is uh, healthcare changing due to COVID-19? Well, we've talked about that with some major health systems here in Philadelphia and actually, you know, around the world. And uh, what we're finding is what the CDC has told us is that if a patient isn't uh, generating aerosols, coughing or having uh, being intubated where there's a um, respirator being uh, put down their throat. If they're not doing something that causes an excessive, or, you know, sneezing, coughing, anything like that that would generate an aerosol that would transfer the droplets of moisture from your body, which carries the virus to, uh, elsewhere, that you don't need to be in a negative pressure environment. Uh, so a COVID positive patient can actually be in a normal hospital environment, but 
you want to have the airflow exhausting from that space, if at all possible. Hmm. Have HEPA filters within the room or uh, delivering HEPA filtered air to the room and then also making sure that you're discharging the air above the roof or through a HEPA filter so you're not spreading it through the building. You want to have once through ventilation. So that's one of the big things. Okay. Uh, for years in healthcare, we've talked about antimicrobial touch surfaces. Uh, copper and silver ion naturally kill uh, bacteria and viruses when, when they come in contact with it. So manufacturers of door hardware, grab bars, other metal surfaces that are used in healthcare settings have come up with a series of products that are inherently antimicrobial because they contain copper or silver coatings. So there is a bit of a premium you pay for those. They haven't ever caught on, but I, I suspect that they are going to catch on much more as we go forward. So ventilation and touch surfaces, um, we use a lot of automatic door operators in healthcare simply because of the amount of traffic, but also to help with keeping things a little cleaner and helping patients in wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another healthcare practice that's going to find more widespread uses, a lot more use of uh, automatic operators. Okay. But as far as social distancing, that that's not really an issue as far as the overall design? Is it? I'm trying to picture hospitals. I haven't been in one in a while, thank God. Yeah, no, we haven't had social distancing in the past um, as being something that we've needed to address in a healthcare setting, but we're certainly much more aware of it now. And people were, you know, there's been a movement towards telemedicine, and I think that is going to become much more prevalent because people aren't going to want to go to a hospital and you never want to go to a doctor's office when you're sick. You never want to really go to a hospital when you're sick, but I think people are going to be much more cautious about going into a hospital environment thinking that there may be COVID possible positive patients there. They're not going to want to expose themselves, even if you're wearing a mask and the proper uh, protective uh, PPE. So I, I think there's going to be a movement towards telemedicine more quickly than we had anticipated. Another thought is providing outside waiting areas uh, that are open air, but weather protected, you know, so under roof and possibly with uh, uh, infrared heating or something like that for colder weather that we get in our area, obviously, so that people can wait outside and be notified of when they're going in to see their physician rather than sitting in a room wondering if they're being exposed. Then, you know, the whole vertical circulation becomes a challenge because when you get on an elevator, you can't help but be, you know, inches, inches away from people, let alone feet. Chuck, this is Chris, and, and I... Uh, I'm I'm amazed because I have to admit when when we were preparing for this interview and we were talking about it uh, in advance I, I I was not I was thinking more from how the architect is actually going to be physically designing things but you've completely changed my mind here and and, and opened my my eyes uh, that it's not just about um, the actual physical design um, lines on a paper in the way that it's built but it's the flow and, and the ventilation and all of the other 
non-pretty items, if you will. Um, right. So, so you know, so it, it, it's kind of interesting from that perspective. But c can you talk a little bit about how you see this changing the architect's skill set, if at all? Well, yeah, I think it will because we're going to want to be choosing materials that are more easily cleaned. You know, it's it, less wood because wood can absorb moisture and you know when, as the finish wears off it can have bacterial growth that gets embedded in it and uh, you know just surfaces that are more easily cleaned um, you know the I don't know that it will necessarily change the amount of outside light that we're letting into spaces because that's not really something that uh, this is going to impact, but um, I think less soft surfaces, you know, less carpeting, uh, more hard flooring surfaces, which then is going to have an impact on acoustics. So it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. You, you want to have something that's easily sanitized, but you don't want to have it be institutional. You know, in healthcare for decades, we've worked towards getting into a more hospitality type setting. Uh, to make it more appealing for patients to come into the space. So you don't want to get back into that sterile, hard surface, institutional kind of appearance. You still want to have it be an appealing visual. So, But I, I would say definitely away from fabrics for uh, the most part and uh, other soft surfaces that can hold viruses and promote growth of, of bacteria and uh, viruses. Mm -hmm. And, and that obviously has an effect on the design. So the right. architects are going to have to be more creative, really. And, and does that do you do you so do you see that trickling down to the manufacturing aspects as well? Um, not not to get away from the subject, but yeah, no, no, you're right. I would certainly think that we're going to have to come up with some new materials that are visually pleasing and perform well acoustically, but are still antimicrobial so yeah it, it I certainly see it as having an impact on the products that we use and you know I do a lot of work with pharmacy designs and there was US pharmaceutical uh, convention has come up with new standards for drug compounding in hospital pharmacies and well retail pharmacies too but what they're looking for is no cracks and crevices in the surfaces uh, that would promote, you know, to make them easier to clean and so that you're not promoting the growth of bacteria. So, uh, you know, a highly textured uh, dry stacked stone is going to be interesting to see how we address it there if it's, because that's somewhat of a porous surface and it has a lot of crevices in it that are not easily cleaned. So. Mm -hmm. One of the technologies that's out there is an ionized hydrogen peroxide. That it, hydrogen peroxide is very effective at killing uh, viruses and bacteria. And there are systems that they use robots for in hospitals that come in and do a fog. And actually, if you've seen television coverage of the sterilization of subways and public spaces all over the place, you'll see that they're spraying a fog, and that, I believe, is probably hydrogen peroxide. 
and that's in a vaporized form. But if you go to the ionized, it's not a mist like that. It's actually just a concentration of hydrogen peroxide within the air, and it's very effective at, at cleaning. So I see that as being one potential for being able to be a system that's functioning constantly within an occupied space that will help to keep it more sterile and allow us to still use some of the traditional materials that we've been using. Yeah. Just don't drink it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Don't drink the Lysol. Don't drink the hydrogen peroxide. I couldn't resist. I apologize. we're, we're talking today with Chuck Parker with Stantic, and he's helping us understand the uh, design ramifications of COVID-19. Um, and I have one last question for you, Chuck. How long do you think that this element of design change is going to last? I think it's going to be something that we're just going to live with, just, you know, like the security my analogy at the beginning with uh, 9-11 and security at airports, that it's going to become a way of life. It's the same thing happened with energy-efficient design. You know, once there's a consciousness raising, it just becomes inherent in our design tools, and I I think this is going to have a long-term, if not permanent, influence on what we do going forward. Hmm. And And then you had mentioned about a, a task force or, or a committee within, and that, that committee was within your company, correct, within Stantec? Right. No, we have a call once a week, and we include our offices in Australia and uh, Great Britain, uh, okay. Canada, uh, across the U.S., and it's uh, representatives from each of our healthcare offices that are, okay. like me, a little more technical-minded, and we get together and discuss what we're finding is the approaches so that we're coming up with a you know shared corporate knowledge of how okay. best to address the challenges we're coming up with. And then that, that shared knowledge, is that currently being applied in the field? And, and if so, how's the, how's the field architect yeah. and the construction team, how are they responding and any feedback? Yeah, we, we've used it with a couple of health systems here in Philadelphia. Uh, I was mentioning uh, the McCormick Center in Chicago. Uh, there's a couple Canadian uh, emergency bed uh, alternative sites that have been designed using the principles that, that we've been discussing amongst ourselves. So uh, they're very, I mean, there's a lot of acceptance by the construction industry to just get it done, like there always is. Contractors understand that. Yeah, they're warriors in this campaign, just like the healthcare workers. That we've got to make sure that we keep the public safe, and uh, it's been a, a good collaboration between us and the contractors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the overall theme and the reoccurring message I keep hearing from contractors is, you know, we got to be patient. We got to make sure our owners know this. Our, you know, architects, engineers, subcontractors. There's a lot of new safety protocols, so patience is is uh, extremely important. We got to get it right. You know, we can't hurt anyone. So it's, I'm sure you guys are seeing that too. With with more changes and more protocols, it slows down the process, which which is a good thing. You know, normally slowing down the, a project is is not always considered good, but it, but in this instance. 
in, instance, I uh, think it is good. So no, I agree, John. Yeah, moving in the right direction. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Are there any any major changes um, or major items that are being pushed internally when you have this global committee? Anything that's really important in Europe, maybe not so important here, and you know, vice versa at all? No, we're just finding that you know, like I was talking about, we were going with negative pressure rooms here in the U.S. and I think in uh, it was either Australia. They initially started with positive pressure rooms, but uh, then realized that that was not the right thing to do. They were trying to protect the patient, and you're then exposing the rest of the occupants of the building. So going with a negative pressure environment is really the proper thing to do because you're protecting uh, both the patient by exhausting it outside and protecting the people outside of the room where the patient is so that it's, it's not spreading through the hospital. So that, that's one thing that we have standardized on now. And okay. So th there's any number of little things. We, we could sort of go on forever. But, uh, yeah, we, we do share our knowledge and try to come up with the best approach. That's awesome. That's a great approach. And as always, you know, it's, like I said earlier, close to 20 years I've known you, and you continue to educate me. So thank you, Chuck. <laughs> Anytime, John. Yeah. Uh, this session was very, very informative. I enjoyed, enjoyed the uh, discussion. Uh, and keep up the great work. Yeah. Chuck, I'll add that you've opened my eyes too. So it's not just John that's learning today. So um, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Good. With well, knowledge with your healthcare knowledge, we could have you on from time to time, and you can continue oh, the educational process. <laughs> Yeah, I'm happy to talk to you anytime. Awesome. Thanks, Chuck. Good. Good. Thank you. Well, Chuck, thanks for joining us on the Building PA Podcast. Uh, episodes are available at buildingpapodcast.com and on all of the podcast players uh, across the Internet, the interweb, if you will. So uh, feel free to download, share with your friends. Talk us up. Tell everyone how great it is because we think it is too. So thank you very much for today, and we will talk with you soon. Stay safe. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you.